0: Indeed, what a joy it is to gather week after week on Sunday morning, and join with the people of God, the people of the church, and worship uh, a risen Savior and Lord. You now, it is a, a great privilege to be part of the church, to be part of a local church, to be part of a local body of believers, a body of Christ, and as part of the body, uh, one of the great joys that we have is getting to know other believers, getting to know other Christians. In fact, the New Testament uh, uh, characterizes the church as a, a body of believers who do more than simply get to know each other, a body of believers who become family to one another. Indeed, we are family. We are brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in Christ. And as such, we share life together. We experience highs and lows together, joys and sorrows Together, And as we get to know each other, one of the natural questions that we might ask of each other uh, is, where are you from? Where did you grow up? And as someone who spent the first 18 years or so of my life in the same city, I'm uh, sometimes shocked by how many people uh, cannot answer that question. Um, How many people cannot uh, or do not uh, identify a certain geographical location as the place of their uh, roots, the place of their upbringing? In fact, I remember even as a child, uh, my father, uh, who grew up in southern Kentucky, uh, often describing uh, or often using the language of going home when we were going to visit uh, the family. After many years away from home, that was still uh, the place that he associated with home. So even though I can't identify with with those uh, for ha- perhaps that don't identify a certain place as home, I'm sure many of you can because uh, there is a, a considerable segment of the American population uh, that uh, spent uh, most of their upbringing moving from place to place, whether as military children or others whose parents' uh, profession dictated uh, regular relocation. And if that is you, then you learned what it was like to be a temporary resident somewhere. Maybe you uh, felt the tension and the struggle of moving to a new place and the struggle of trying to settle down in a new place to uh, make a new place home. In fact, maybe after two or three moves, even as a child, you began to wonder if it was even worth the effort to try to settle down in a A new place. You know the difficulty of making, of trying to make somewhere seem like home that really doesn't seem like home. In fact, sometime I will tell you a story about uh, a young couple, a couple newlyweds, and a pregnant wife, uh, and uh, a parsonage, and perhaps arguably the redneck capital of the South, and lots and lots of emotions, and trying to discern uh, God's will. And uh, you would probably find that story quite amusing uh, because you know the two main characters uh, fairly well. And through that experience, I learned what many of you already know, that it is difficult to make someplace feel like home uh, that isn't home. And likewise, uh, church, the scriptures uh, convey to us and for us that as believers, this world is not our home as followers of Jesus Christ as people of faith in the god of scripture that we are temporary residents here on earth in fact paul said it this way to believers living in philippi philippians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 he said but our citizenship our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. So as believers, our permanent dwelling place, our permanent citizenship is not here. It is somewhere else. And as followers of Jesus, we ought to eagerly await His return so that we might be with Him and enjoy His presence and His provision for all of eternity. And 1 Peter helps us. See this. So let me invite you this morning to open the scriptures with me to uh, the uh, first letter that Peter wrote, the letter of First Peter, found near the end of uh, our Bibles, uh, near some other short letters, First and Second Peter, and First and Second and Third John, Jude, and then Revelation, the final book of the New Testament. So find your place in First Peter as we begin a new message series this morning titled "Hope in the Darkness" as we journey through. Uh, this letter uh, written to uh, scattered believers uh, and certainly uh, conveying this theme of temporary status, temporary residency here uh, for believers living in the world. And a number of you have already been in First Peter this morning through uh, your Sunday school classes and so we will be journeying together and I'm excited about this over the next several weeks, really the next couple months uh, through uh, this great letter. And as you find your place there, let me invite you. Uh, ...to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and God's Word reads this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Galatia Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia... ...who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your written word. We thank you that you have made yourself known to us and by your spirit you have preserved the writings of the Scriptures, that we might learn from them, that we might learn about you and what it means to be part of your story and what it means to live as your children. So, Father, we pray that you would guide us now by your Spirit in understanding the truths of your Word and applying them to our lives as your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, One thing that I like about uh, this letter, First Peter, is... Uh, Judging by the context, uh, it is most likely a letter uh, that was written to country folks. It's different from many of the other letters of the New Testament. It's not addressed to uh, people living in a certain influential city, say such as Rome or Ephesus or Corinth. Instead, it is uh, written to scattered believers who are living in various provinces, various regions uh, that are found in uh, modern-day Turkey. And so it's a letter that is written by Peter, an apostle, one of the original uh, 12, an influential leader in uh, the, the spread and the establishment of the early church. And written to believers who are in various locations, meaning that it's uh, meant to be circulated uh, among these various uh, churches and communities of believers in small towns and uh, in large cities, wherever it ends up uh, in the hands of God's People And certainly by nature of being included in the written word of God, it is also, church, a letter to us, for us, that we might learn from it. So Peter writes, and he writes to God's elect. In other words, those that uh, are the recipients of salvation under God's initiative through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ to exiles scattered throughout. Uh, and... and Uh, likely some of the recipients of this letter may have been uh, literal exiles. They may have been Jews whose ancestors had been displaced and they found themselves living in another region, another area, but uh, based upon uh, those uh, regions that the letter is addressed to, uh, the audiences were probably more likely composed of more Gentiles. And so all of the recipients of this letter, Peter says, are exiles. They are spiritual exiles because they find themselves living in a land and in a culture uh, whose values and practices collide our intention with the faith and the values and the practices of Christians, of followers of Jesus. Now that should sound familiar to you and to any other follower of Christ who has ever lived And walked in this world because this has been the case in every culture since the coming of Christ sometimes more blatantly than others but the values of the world and the values of uh, the culture in which humans live and flourish and thrive and settle down has always been at least to some extent in culture uh, in tension excuse me with uh, the practices and the faith and the values of believers and so Peter writes into this context in order to encourage believers to uh, help believers in knowing what their role is in such a culture. And so, what is the appropriate response to a culture and a world that is at odds with the very message of the gospel? And so, I think Peter helps us understanding uh, to understand and discern. Uh, a proper and biblical approach. But before we can begin to answer that question. And think about what that might look like for, for us as believers. Even today in Birmingham, Alabama in the year 2016. Uh, Peter lets us know that first we need to rightly respond to the God who saves. The God who gives new life. The giver of new life warrants great praise. Peter communicates to us right here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that the giver of new life, that is God himself, the author of life, the sustainer of life, and the redeemer of life through the blood of Jesus Christ, warrants or deserves great praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is that God deserves praise. He deserves praise. Worship from all, from everyone, simply because of who He is. He is God. He is Almighty. He is Creator. He is the Author of life. He is the one who holds all things in His hands, And for this reason, He deserves praise from all of His creatures, but certainly and especially from us. Why? Because in His great mercy, verse 3, He has given us, believers, Christians, followers of Jesus, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has given us new life. He's given us a living hope to the resurrection of of Jesus. And He has given us, verse 4, an inheritance that can never perish, that can never spoil, that can never fade away. See, the Scriptures communicate that Somehow, in some way, through the blood of Jesus Christ, God gives us what we can never earn or deserve or accomplish on our own. It's a living hope, an eternal perspective, an inheritance, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf that can never fade away, that never spoils, that's incorruptible, that's unlike anything we encounter in this this life. And sure, sometimes I wonder if in our Bible uh, belt Christian subculture, we have so, if we have not so trivialized this message, the message of the gospel with symbols and platitudes and t-shirts and jewelry and on and on we could go and TV preaching that we have almost become inoculated against the redemptive power of this message. Church, Peter is saying that we are people of God and that we have received an incredible gift from God Himself, the author of life. We have a a living hope that is unlike any other hope we might experience in this life. We await a day when our Savior returns, that this God raised Jesus from the dead after giving His life on the cross for your sins and for my sins that we might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled to God the Father. And that His resurrection from the dead foreshadows our spiritual resurrection from the dead and even our physical resurrection from the dead one day when He returns. Those who believe this message, church, those who really believe the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ know that they are temporary residents here in this world, in this life. We know that this is not our home, thus we yearn for our future home. Yearn for your final home. Long for your final home. Look forward to the day when you will be with your Savior, unhindered access to God through Jesus, day after day after day, for all of eternity. See, the language that's used here at the opening of this letter is language and allusions that are familiar to Jewish folks who are familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures, language like to God's elect, language that was used of Israel in the Old Testament, language like exiles scattered. Certainly the Jews were exiles in Egypt and then in Babylon. Language of an inheritance, Jews, we know for many years, we're awaiting a physical inheritance, an inheritance of the promised land. But what Scripture is saying here is that the inheritance that we have now received through Jesus and that we await the full experience of is far greater than any earthly inheritance, far greater than anything that we could come across in this life, far greater than any land that we could receive or, or wealth that we could uh, gain. There's a sense of, of growing hope that wells up in the lives of believers, like a, a pot of boiling water getting ready to boil over that longs for the day of Christ's return. Do you long for the day of Christ's return? I think certainly this passage and others are conveying that this eager and expectant and confident longing for the return of Christ is a measure of spiritual maturity. Have you ever known an elderly Christian on his or her deathbed using language like this, I want to go home. I'm ready to go home. I want to be with Jesus. I want to see Jesus. That's what Peter is getting at here. That's the kind of way that we as followers of Jesus who have been saved by the grace of God ought to live Ought to carry ourselves. Ought to talk. Ought to walk. Ought to act as we walk here in this world, as we live as temporary residents here. But until then, certainly we walk by faith. Until then, we live here. Until then, we work here. Until then, we worship here. Until then, we learn here, and we eat here, and we sleep here, and we shop here, and we engage. Uh, in uh, the lives of others here but we do so from a perspective of faith in the God of the scriptures until then we walk by faith in Jesus until he returns look back at first Peter 1 beginning in verse 4 the end of verse 4 Peter says this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So if you are a believer in Jesus, certainly yearn for your final and future home. But also if you are a believer in Jesus, then thank God for your faith. Thank God for your faith. Now, Notice what I didn't say there. I didn't say Pat yourself on the back for believing this message or condemn others who are struggling to believe this message. The message of Scripture right here and elsewhere is that those who have faith in God whose eyes have been opened to see recognize that faith itself is a gift from God. That's what Peter means here in verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power. In other words, even in, in trials and in hardship and struggles, even in tragedy. It's the power of God that keeps us believing in Him. It's the power of God over His people that keeps us from unbelief as we long for His return. The giver of new life warrants great praise from His people. And now we'll see that the recipients of this new life rejoice in spite of ...of suffering. Scriptures are clear here and elsewhere... ...that the recipients of this new life... ...this life that God gives us through Jesus Christ... ...rejoice in spite of suffering. Look back at 1 Peter 1, picking up in verse 6. Verse 6, Peter writes... "...in all this, and all this you, believers, greatly rejoice... ...though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief... ...and all kinds of trials... So Peter the Apostle writes this letter, and most likely uh, he writes this letter from Rome during the early to mid 60s A.D. About 30 years or so after uh, the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, and so he's writing in a context uh, uh, in which the the Romans controlled that empire, that region under the Emperor Nero. Nero was a young man at the time and later certainly developed a deeper hatred and persecution of of believers it wasn't an, probably was not an official policy against christians just yet but it would be before long and even so there are already no doubt many isolated perhaps even more than isolated cases of verbal and physical abuse against believers and so this tension has developed in the surrounding culture between people of faith in christ and the surrounding culture and whether it's in AD 62 or 63 in the first century in the Roman Empire or the year 2016 in the United States of America, we have ample reason for joy regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the surrounding and prevailing cultural values of our day because this world, church, is not our home as temporary residents here we can rejoice over heaven in fact we are called to rejoice over heaven verse 6 peter says in all this you greatly rejoice in all this that in all this is describing or summarizing what he has already described in verses 3 through 5 this eternal inheritance and this living hope and this new birth or the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, for those who who know Christ, church for believers, for those who have experienced these things, for those who are the recipients of this new life, rejoicing over heaven ought to be an ordinary part of our everyday walk with Jesus Christ. Because we are called to rejoice over heaven and invited to rejoice over heaven. And if we have a glimpse of what we are receiving, what we have already received through the blood of Christ and what we will inherit one day, we have every reason to rejoice. Remember what Paul said about uh, this resurrection hope that we had. He said, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 19, he said, If only for this life we have, have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul writes, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. But the truth is, we don't just have hope for this life. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The earnings." For sin is death, the deserved payment for our sin against god is is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God by god 's grace, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We have hope in this life, living hope because of a new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that allows us to rejoice over. Heaven, And it is this joy that God gives us that leads us to recognize, to acknowledge our temporary status, allowing us then to endure trials with faith. Church, endure trials with faith. Rejoice over heaven and endure trials with faith. No doubt persecution is a trial. Some of Peter's original recipients were experiencing that trial. But we also know that's not the only trial. That's not the only hardship. That's not the only challenge that we face as we live and walk here in these bodies, in this world. Even as Christians, we, we face illness. We face terminal illness. We face termination. We face And deal with wayward children. We deal with unfaithfulness. We experience hardship and suffering. And pain and grieving and loss. And even death itself. And what Peter is not saying here. Is that those who know Christ. Ought to rejoice over such things. There is a joy in Christ. And knowing Christ. And Walking with Christ does not eliminate grief over hurt and hardship and tragedy in this life. There's a tension for believers between the griefs that we experience here in this body, in this life, and a joy that supersedes these things. And these things are held in tension. But what I think Scripture is saying is that even as we face such things, we face them with hope, knowing the faith, that we have in Jesus Christ and knowing that somehow, in some way, God often uses these things to refine our faith and to purify our faith in Him so that at His return, He may receive praise and glory and honor from His people. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, For our light and momentary troubles are light and momentary troubles. From an earthly perspective, few troubles are light and momentary, but from a heavenly perspective, they are. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is Eternal Peter invites us to rejoice over heaven, Peter invites us to endure trials with faith, and thirdly Peter invites us and calls us to cherish knowing Christ, cherish knowing Jesus Christ. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, he says you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. This is similar to the language Jesus uses when he Speaks with Thomas after his resurrection appearance to Thomas, who who doubted Jesus' resurrection from the dead, who wanted to see Jesus and see his wounds and touch his wounds. And Jesus said, blessed are you for seeing what you believe. I'm paraphrasing here uh, big time. Uh, but he says, blessed are those who do not see and believe. Right? He calls us to cherish knowing him in the description that, Peter uses here in verse verse 8 is descriptive of a relationship. You don't see Christ, but you love Him. You don't see Christ, but you believe in Him. A relationship that's characterized by faith, and a faith that leads to inexpressible and glorious joy for believers here and now in this life. Peter closes this portion of the letter, or concludes this portion of the letter, the letter with a glimpse of some others. Prophets from ages past and even angels in heaven longing to know Jesus, church, as we know Jesus. So hear this, listen to this. First Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Verse twelve verse twelve. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. He says even angels long to look into these things. I think the point or one point here from these verses is that Christ's followers represent God's faithfulness. Christ's followers represent God's faithfulness. In other words, the fact that we are here, that we have heard the message of the gospel and we've responded with faith in Christ, that there are believers in the world today who are reconciled to God because God sent His one and only Son who gave His life on the cross in your place in my place for our sins. The fact that all of this is so is a representation of God's faithfulness to fulfill His promises and His plan. In other words, Peter says that there were prophets who prophesied in ages past. And by God's Spirit, they were given uh, a glimpse, a window into what was to come. They prophesied, some of them, about the coming Messiah and His death in our place for our, our sins But what Peter is saying, what has actually come about in and through the coming of Christ is far greater than anything they ever imagined. He says, even angels long to see these things. Even the angels didn't understand this. Even angels now delight in God's work in and through followers of Jesus Christ. I think this would be sort of like trying to describe life in the 21st century to someone living three or four hundred years ago. Can you imagine trying to tell them about flushing toilets and uh, the, the benefit of electricity and air conditioning, the computer and Internet? We could describe these things to someone who has no concept of them or little concept of some of these things which are to come. Truth be told, we could probably only give them a small window into what life is really like today. If they live today. Maybe they would say this. Maybe they wouldn't. But maybe they would say that it's far greater than I even imagined. Or maybe we could say something similar about life in the future and uh, self-driving uh, cars and whatever else is to come. We can only imagine. We can only think about these things, or even we could take it a step farther, a spiritual uh, component to life in heaven. We can describe life in heaven and try to understand what life in heaven is like, but no doubt, according to the scriptures, it will be far, far greater, far, 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 far grander than anything we could even begin to describe or try to, to imagine. And Peter is saying that's what life now is like compared to what it was before in the plan of God. We live in the greatest epic of salvation history. So based upon the creatively crafted and purposefully executed plan of God, let me encourage you, I think Peter encourages us to take our place in God's plan. Take your place in, in God's plan. We live post, after the coming... And the dying and the rising of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world. We know what it's like, we feel what it's like to be reconciled to God forever by faith in, in Jesus. And we are called upon to, to praise God in light of and for this salvation and called to live our lives in light of this salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And one way, church, that we can do that, one way that we can take our place in God's plan is by learning to enjoy and to appreciate and to anticipate salvation. Enjoy, appreciate, and anticipate this salvation. You see, there's a past component of salvation. Jesus gave His life and the perfect timing of God on the cross in our place for our sins. He defeated sin and death For us. There's a present component of salvation. That we are living out our salvation. As we walk and live and breathe. And conduct ourselves in this world. As God's people. But there is also a future component of salvation. When the Lord Jesus Christ will return. And he will gather all of his people. All of his followers into his presence. People from every tribe, nation, people and language. To forever worship him. And to enjoy unhindered access to him. We're called upon to enjoy this salvation and to appreciate this salvation. And we enjoy it by certainly communing with God through prayer and His Word, by fellowshipping with other believers in His name. We can appreciate this salvation by acknowledging and recognizing the depth of our own sin against God and familiarizing ourselves time and time again with God's plan of redemption, His story of redemption as revealed in His Word. In fact, incredibly here in verse 12, Peter says that these prophets who prophesied long ago realized that they weren't prophesying so much for themselves or even people in their day, but they were prophesying for us even today, believers who would come. So if you want to appreciate salvation, if you want to appreciate God's story, then familiarize yourselves with his story, all of his story, even Old Testament Perhaps in some ways, especially Old Testament, in light of the new, in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let's anticipate salvation by awaiting the day, looking forward to the day of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's return. Paul said, we wait. We wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us To redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Eager to do what is good. Titus chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. We wait. Church, we're temporary residents here. Living here. Waiting here for the return of our maker. For the return of our redeemer. For the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as temporary residents here, God calls us to learn our past calls us to learn our past, to live in the present, and to long for the future. Church, God calls us to learn our, our past. And by our past, I mean God's story that has unfolded over ages and centuries past, now that involves our lives as His people, to learn His story and our place in it, to learn our past and to live in the present. To live as temporary residence here, settling down here for a time, but living and walking and talking with an eternal perspective and to long for the future, the day that we will enter into His presence for all of eternity. Let me ask you this morning, do you long for the future? Do you have a reason to long for the future? Do you know this living hope that Peter describes Have you received this new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord? Do you long for the day of Christ's return? If you don't long for that day, church, know that I want to talk with you about that. I want to talk with you about God's plan of redemption and how that involves our lives even today and how as followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus, we have every reason to long for the day. Let's long for the day. If you don't know this hope, certainly find me. Come see me. Come see one of our staff. Have a believer around you. Let's let's talk about this. There's nothing more important than knowing this hope and living in light of the hope of the gospel. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth into a living hope and an inheritance that can never perish, can never spoil never fade away. Father, we thank you that you are a God who saves. Father, we thank you that you are a God who gives us an eternal perspective. And Father, though we, and certainly some of us more than others, experience hardships and trials and suffering, persecution and illness, even death in this life, Father, we know that we can rejoice despite these things because of the resurrection hope that you give us. Father, I pray that we would respond to this hope, that we would recognize your presence, that we would respond in a way that's appropriate and in a way that glorifies you. Lead us, Lord, to be faithful followers of Jesus who live with an eternal perspective as temporary residents here for your glory, for our good and the good of those we encounter. Lead us now, and it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen.